Well, good morning. Some of you I've had the opportunity of saying that to, others I haven't, so there it was. Good morning. Uh, glad you're here if you're visiting with us this morning. Uh, my name is Patrick Boyd. I am the youth pastor here, and our senior pastor, Frank, appears to be out in the soccer field over there, just standing there, I guess. No, that was a video. Uh, Frank's not here this morning, uh, unfortunately, but we are, so we're going to do this. Y'all ready? We are in James. Um, Audrey just read for us. Chapter 5, we have seven more verses, and then we will be done. We'll be wrapping up next week. So I want to remind everyone just kind of the context of James, okay? He is writing into a Jewish Christian context in the first century uh, with the goal of teaching them that their behavior as Christians should express or reflect their belief as Christians. And so belief should outflow with behavior. In other words, uh, orthodoxy, if you're not familiar with that term, that means right doctrine or right belief should lead to orthopraxy, which is right practice or correct practice. Um, I do have a little bit of a homework assignment for you. I know it's summer. Students, it's going to be okay. All right? This one's important. Uh, adults, this is for you as well. Uh, we are wrapping up James next week. So this week, I think it would be really cool. I've already started this. I got a head start. I'll finish my homework before you. Um, but I encourage you to read through James in its entirety. It's five chapters. You can do it. Read through it two to three times. And get a piece of paper out and start to make a list. Take note of the practices of the Christian faith that James is emphasizing. It's actually a really cool assignment. I started it uh, yesterday, actually, uh, and it was fascinating to me, all of the things that I'm like, wow, I, I should be doing this. I need to do this, right? In, in chapter 2, he says, your faith should have action. Uh, and so there's a lot in there. Read through James in preparation of our last sermon next week. And now before we jump in to these five verses, I do have a little bit of a preface. God has chosen to reveal himself. Somebody say amen. Thank you. God has chosen to reveal himself. He created everything that is, and he was in relationship with his creation. And then his creation rebelled. They believed a lie. They believed the opposite of what he said. And in the midst of that, in that rebellion, he chose to keep on revealing himself. He chose to keep on speaking. He, he chose Abram. He chose a people, a nation, that's going to tell the whole world about who he is. He started choosing prophets, men of God who could tell the truth about who he is. And then he sends his son, Jesus, the, 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 the visible 
representation of God to earth. God has chosen to reveal himself through history. The primary way that we get that today is through the word of God. This is his word. This is his truth. I had the opportunity Friday uh, during the day to tell that to a lot of kids, like 210 kids here at basketball and art camp. The word of God is his truth. He has chosen to reveal himself. He has spoken. Now, why do I tell you all that? Um, Because humanity rebelled against God. I'm a product of that. I'm a human. I'm flawed. My interpretation of God's truth, it could be wrong. Now, that's, that's a hard thing to state about to preach God's word. I am preaching God's word. My interpretation is not guaranteed to be accurate. Humanity's interpretation of Scripture is not guaranteed to be accurate. His word is true. Um, I think it was, what's his name? Penn. The magician dude. What's his last name? Gillette. Thank you. A little help from the, somebody's paying attention. I like that. He said, uh, I, I believe that the fast track to atheism is reading the Bible. He's an atheist. Uh, he claims he's read the Bible three times. To no avail, apparently. Um, and, and what I think his point is, is that the Bible can be confusing. The Bible can be strange. It's got some weird stuff in there, like talking donkeys. And we could spend all morning going through some of those. We're actually going to get there. Um, The Bible can be difficult to understand because it was written, in this case, James, was written in the first century to Jewish Christians in Koine Greek, which is the common tongue of the day. And it's been translated for us in English a lot of times. Uh, The Buntons are here. Let let me help you on how I got there. They they are missionaries. Some of y'all, you'll follow me, right? The word of God has been translated from Koine Greek to to English, and they're working in Papua New Guinea uh, for a translation, the translations of, of the word of God to go into those languages and those villages so that they can have access of how God has chosen to reveal himself throughout time. That's an awesome thing. So thank you for what you do, and we are super pumped that you're here. Uh, if, you, if you haven't had an opportunity to hug Robert, he wants everyone to hug him at the same time. That's true. All right. Um, So to sum up what I just said, special revelation, God has chosen to reveal himself through his word. But human interpretation can be flawed, and hey, human interpretation has been flawed. With that said, 
we're jumping into James. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Um, eight references to prayer. Five verses, eight references to prayer. So I'm pretty dang sure, can I say dang? Pretty dang sure that James wants us to pray. Okay? There are no situations in which prayer or praise is not relevant. There are no situations in which prayer or praise are not relevant. He says this in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. The word pray here is an imperative. In the Greek language, that means do it. It's a command. And so I know in a room this size, there are Probably many of you who are suffering. That word suffering, it's just a general term for suffering. The NIV translates it troubled. Are you troubled? Is something stirring in your soul that's causing a discomfort? Is there something happening in your life around you that's causing suffering? Is there something inside of you that's causing suffering? Are you troubled? Then you should pray. First response, pray. Pray to the God in heaven who has revealed himself to us. Now, here's the part, right? You guys have heard that before, right? Yeah, we're Christians, we should pray. How many of you guys have trouble doing it? Yeah, you don't have to show your hands. You can if you want. Sometimes praying can be tough. Uh, sometimes talking to other people is easier. Sometimes complaining is easier. Um, prayer is not always our go-to. A question I had, because I thought about it even myself, is if I talked to Michelle, my wife, or any of my friends, as much as I talk to God, how would my relationship with Michelle look? Or how would my friendships look? You can answer that question. I did it for myself, and I won't share my answer with you. Um, it's a tough one. So here are some practical prayer and praise ideas. Uh, I got this list from D.A. Carson, uh, who is much older than me, much uh, more wise than I am. And so I've kind of uh, started with him and adapted some of it. He says this. He gives eight uh, lessons. Uh, it's, it's an article that he's written. You can look it up. He has a lot more that he writes about it. But I just want to kind of skim through them. He says plan to pray. Like have a plan for prayer. There are other religions, not Christianity, that are probably better at praying to a God who doesn't actually, is not true, than we are at praying to the true God. Let that sink in. Because it's, it's regimented. It's planned. Now I'm not saying you need to have a, you know, regimented, planned out three times a day, you're gonna, you know, bust your rug out and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying 
is you can plan, you can have a plan to pray. You can have a scheduled prayer. We've done it here uh, several times as a church. We've asked you uh, at certain times of the day to pray for something specific. We've asked everyone to set an alarm on their phone, and when that alarm goes off, pray about something specific. It's good to have a plan. We plan for so many things, and often we don't plan to commune and to pray to the God who has revealed himself to us through time. Uh, limit mental drift. We live in a distracted world. We have these. Um, confession time is actually in here. We're talking about it later. Uh, when I was working on this sermon, uh, I played Clash of Clans way too much. It's a, it's a mobile app game. I'm Town Hall 14. Um, that's right. That's right. Um, I found myself scrolling through Instagram and thinking, what are you doing? Patrick, throw your phone away. Put it away from you. Right? Or somebody will text me, and it's like, oh, there's an invited distraction. I'll text them back. We live in a distraction-enveloped world. And so mental drift happens so easily, right? Have you guys ever been, like, praying, and then you realize halfway through your prayer, you're either sleeping um, or thinking about where you left your car keys or what you're doing tomorrow or how good that taco was last night? Those are, I guess that's just what I think about. Um, Mental drift is a real thing. And so we have to impede it, limit it, put your phone away, ask the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you, to focus, to pay attention. Uh, Prayer partners. Uh, He's here. Hopefully he doesn't mind me saying this. Uh, Mitch, do you care? (laughs) We're good, all right. Uh, Mitch Osterhaus and I, we lived on the same street, and um, <laughs> we planned to pray probably more than we actually end up praying because we, we, we try to be at 6 a.m. Uh, on some Thursdays. I'll leave it at that. Certainly not every Thursday, and it's not as much as we would want it to be. But having a prayer partner is good because it holds us accountable to someone. And in some cases, it teaches us how to pray. So that's another one. Listen to other people pray. If you struggle with that, if you're not really sure what to say or how to say it or how to pray, listen to others pray. Uh, There's someone on staff, I'll leave this person um, nameless. I I sometimes, when I'm mental drifting while everyone else is praying, I'll notice this person writing down the prayers of other people. And that actually helps me to then not mental drift and come back to the prayer. But what they're doing is they're listening. It's helping them listen to what is being prayed. And they're learning at the same time. And so listen to other people pray. Or you can read prayers. Uh, I read sometimes uh, it's the the old Puritan prayers. It's called the Valley of Vision. It's a collection of different prayers. It's um, in the old English thousand and all this kind of stuff. I try my best to interpret it as I read uh, or translate it. But they're helpful, right? They give us uh, maybe fresh ideas to how to pray and what to pray for. Uh, systematize your prayer list. Some of you in here love systems. I don't. Uh, some of you don't. Some of you are more like me. 
right? Spontaneity wins the day. Uh, and some of us in here are like systems. I love systems. And so systematize your prayer list. Uh, pray the scriptures. Read the Psalms. As you're reading, as you're doing devotions, turn that into a prayer. As you read through James this week in its entirety, pray. If you lack wisdom, ask. You do not have because you do not ask. These are lines from James. Uh, and then the last one, again, D.A. Carson says is pray until you pray. And the first time I read that, heard that, I was like, what? Um, but it's kind of like, you know, this week we had basketball camp with some kids and they had to shoot the basketball until they made it. Just keep shooting. Just keep shooting the basketball. You'll get it. So pray until you pray. Uh, and then the last one I kind of, uh, I'll add, and this is something I've tried to add to my life, is fasting. When we fast, when we deprive ourselves of food, for me particularly, and I feel that rumble way too soon, uh, way too often than I should, it's a reminder, oh yeah, I'm praying about this or that. I should pray. So fasting uh, is a good way to plan to pray even. Um, all right. So that's uh, more of a practical list of praying because James wants us ultimately to pray. If any among you is suffering, pray. If any among you is cheerful, you're happy, you've got good stuff going on, sing praises. That's just harmonizing or melodizing your prayers. What happened up here is that the teenagers led us in worship. They sang songs that were written from the scriptures about God and who he is and how much he loves us. And how amazing he is and powerful he is. And so when you sing praises, you are singing scriptures. You're singing prayers. Maybe you struggle with that and you like to, to listen to classic rock only. You know? Whatever, I guess do you. But it'd also be helpful to add some, some praise songs to your Spotify playlist. As you're driving in your car. Sing. Uh, our staff here knows that I sing probably too much, and they all probably are like, Patrick, stop. But they don't tell that to me. They talk to each other about it, I bet. All right. Then he kind of transitions a little bit. He goes on to uh, talk about sickness. Uh, verses 14 to 16, they're difficult. They're my preface. This is why I prefaced this. The interpretation of these verses is varied. Incredibly varied. Um, here's my point, though. God is, sorry, this is what I believe James's point is. God is the one who saves. God is the one who saves, forgives, and heals. God is the one that does that. Our job is to trust, our job is to confess, our job is to pray. He says this in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, he does not say, call on the local healer, or that person in the church who has a spiritual gift of healing. Um, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Because we're not in 1 Corinthians, we're in James. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, James wrote James. 
But Paul talks about the spiritual gifts of healings. They're both plural. Gifts, plural. Healings, plural. Uh, John Piper, again, older, wiser, preaches a lot more than I do. Has a great sermon on this. You can listen to him. The way he explains it is this. God has given gifts to certain people over the history of Christianity that when they pray for someone's healing, they're healed. It's a, it's a momentary gift of healing. And so it happens to different people for specific things. Does that make sense? In other words, God does not dispense the gift of healing to one individual for the entirety of their Christian lives that they are then gifted with the ability to heal anything and everything, all diseases and everything, throughout the course of their life. That is not found, that idea is not found in the scriptures. And rather, healing, healing is something that is gifted to us because God is the one who does the healing. He does say to call on the elders of the church. Do I have any elders in the house? Yes! Praise God! Uh, I'm an elder at Uniontown Bible Church, uh, one of the pastors here. Call on us. Summon us. If you are sick, we want to pray with you. We want to know that. We're the elders of Uniontown Bible Church tasked with the responsibility of shepherding, caring, loving, serving, teaching, praying. We want to do that. Call on the elders of the church is what James says to the first century Jewish Christians. Call on the elders, plural, of the church. The church where you attend. The church that you worship with. The church that you gather with. Call on them. Call on us. Uh, anointing and with oil in the name of the Lord. So the anointing there actually is not the emphatic verb. It's not the um, imperative. It's actually a participle. And so it's not, you know, the oil, you know, we're going to talk about that. Let's go there. 15 says the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Here's where the, this text gets uh, a little ambiguous because James does not add a whole lot of qualifiers and he does not explain what the prayer of faith is. He doesn't tell us that there's some magic mantra or some formula. He just says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. But what's interesting is in 15, he says, prayer of faith will save the sick person. And in 16, the confession of sins, the sinner will be healed. So you see that the sinner is healed and the sick person is saved. And so you would expect it to say the sick person is healed and the sinner is saved, right? Because that's what we hear all the time. But James does a little flip-flop here. And I think what he's doing is he's tying sickness to sin. He's saying there's a connection. Now we have to be careful with this, because in John chapter 9, Jesus is questioned 
why the blind dude was blind. Is he blind? Has he sinned or has his parents, have his parents sinned? And Jesus says neither. Sin is not the reason this man is blind. It's so that God can be glorified. It, earlier, a uh, few chapters earlier, chapter 5 of John, you have Jesus healing uh, the lame guy. The guy was so lame. Um, and, you know, he heals him and he disappears into the crowd and he comes back later and he finds him and he says to this man, you are well now, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Okay, so it seems like there's some connection to sin and sickness, but not all the time. And so I'll say it this way. Sickness and death are a result of our rebellion, of the fall, right? Because of the fall, because of what happened when we read in Genesis chapter 3, sin and sickness, sorry, sin, sickness, and death, right? It's all because of that. And so there is a correlation. However, sickness, not all sicknesses, are related to a specific sin. Am I being clear? That was my prayer. He says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So in other words, if there is something in this person's life that is sin that is leading to sickness. I'll give an example. Alcoholism. It's a sin. It can lead to liver issues and all kinds of stuff. And so if repentance, true repentance, confession, forgiveness is offered, right, at that point we could see healing in that person's life. Now it there's no qualifiers here. It doesn't say it's instantaneous. In fact, that future tense in these verbs, the future tense, will, there's no time stamp to it. And so a lot of people can interpret this and say, at some point in time, you know, and for, for us, time is very different than for God. And so healing can happen when we're with Jesus. There's a lot going on in these passages. There's a lot of ways it's been interpreted over the years. But here's what I don't want you to hear that I think some people have heard in the past and some people have said. Oh, you just have to have enough faith. You're not doing it right. Healing is just a prayer way. That's detrimental. It is not the quantity of your faith. It is the object of your faith. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, who heals. And so you don't have to have enough faith. You have to have correctly placed faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who heals. And then, is everyone healed who is prayed for? No. I wrestled with that this week. I've got people in my life who I love dearly, praying for healing. It didn't come. 
didn't happen. God chooses sometimes to heal. And sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes that leads to anger. I know. I felt it. Why? But we have to remember that in Genesis chapter 3, humanity rebelled against God, and you and I are a part of that, and we are guilty. And we don't deserve God's grace. We didn't deserve Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins, to forgive us. We don't deserve healing. God is good, and God is gracious, and he is sovereign, and he knows what he's doing. And he saves some, and he heals some. And I don't know why. And I have to stand before you this morning and say that. I don't know. Because it says the prayer of faith. You know what that is? It's trust. We have to trust that God can heal, and we have to trust him with what he wills, because he is God. So I'll circle back to my point. God is the one who saves, forgives, and heals, and our job is to trust, confess, and pray. A subpoint in there that James talks about is confession. And I want to talk about that really quick because uh, if someone is sick, they're to call upon the elders of the church, right? And so that's calling on, on the elders, someone, people in leadership. But in, confe- in the case of confession, it says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. You don't need the leaders of the church to do this. You need each other. The message of Eugene Peterson, he interprets it this way for us. He says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Look at each other. I know that's weird. But do it. Look at each other. You are his church. We are his church. We have work to do. We are sinners saved by grace. Jesus paid it all on the cross The debt that you could not afford, he paid for. And then, as proof, he rose from the grave, alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. But you and I have work to do. Confess to each other. That's uncomfortable, that's required. If we want to be a church, here, this is what he says. Look at this. The end of 16. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Do you want to be a praying church? I guess not. Do you want to be a praying church? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Let's do the hard work. Because if you just say, oh, I'll confess my sins to God, 
That's great, and, and you should do that. Please do that. There's other places in the Scripture that say to do that. But confessing to one another, for some reason, it adds a different layer of, it, it's, it's dragging something into the light in your life. And it's uncomfortable. And there are, I know some of you are sitting here right now and you feel uncomfortable. And it's hard. But James, who was inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to write, urges it. Confess your sins to one another. Um, because prayer is powerful when we are right with God. Prayer is powerful when we're right with God. He uses an illustration. And I'm going to go through this really quickly because, whoo, that time went. Um, it says, 17 and 18, Elijah was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. So James uses this as an illustration. And Elijah didn't just decide one morning, oh, I think it would be good if it didn't rain for three and a half years. The farmers in the room are like, that sounds awful. I mean, heck, my vegetable garden would suffer. Um, Elijah didn't just wake up and, and do this. Ahab was king, and Ahab had done the most evil before, as any king before him, and so it was discipline. It was the Lord's discipline on Israel through Elijah's prayer and that prayer was so powerful and effective because it aligned with God's will for Israel that they would be disciplined, that for three and a half years it didn't rain, and it ended in this crazy awesome story that hopefully you read in 1 Kings 18 where the, Baal, the, the God of Baal is defeated, the prophets of Baal are defeated, and Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and it rains, and it's epic and awesome. But it says that Elijah... He's just a man. He's just like us. Prayer is powerful when we are right with God. And so with that said, eight times, eight times he mentions prayer. He references it. And so I think that we should pray. We should do that. We should do that now. Is anyone among you suffering? Pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Sing praises. Are any among you sick? Call on the elders of the church. Have them pray over you. Uh, if you are serving this morning in the prayer corner, uh, now would be a great time. If you feel like you need to pray with someone else, you can go back there. You can sit and pray where you are. You can pray with the people around you. We're going to have a song play over the, the speakers this morning. And then we're actually going to do baptisms. So pray with each other, and we'll be back here in a second.